You guys remember your moms doing that, like giving you a death glare during church? Oh, dude, so off. like, <laughs> you can start recording us. Are you recording? Yeah. Oh, so when oh. I was, uh, when, <laughs> we you, were, when we were like super young, right? My When we would sit on the pews, I'd like move my legs like that, you know, off the pew. Mm. Dude, my dad would be like, don't do that. <laughs> like, yes, I know that Bible verse. Don't move with the legs too fast on the pews. Yeah. Yeah, so that was like a big no-no. And then, yeah, you get spanked when you get home. Yeah, the spanking... Okay, for you, was spanking like a regular thing? Like every Sunday, like where you're going home, was it just like, oh, am I going to get spanked today? Cause it, wasn't, my... it wasn't... It was regular, but it wasn't scheduled, meaning that I would get spanked every week, but it would it'd be well-deserved. I... Dude, I broke stuff as a kid. I ran around. I didn't listen. Like, I, I think some of the spanking... All the spankings were well-deserved. Um, some of them were improperly administered, mm-hmm. um, and some of them were not well-taken, but all of them were well-deserved. Just the administration might have been a little off in regards to, you know. Do, do you think you learn from your spankings? Like, you, you mentioned running around and breaking things. Are those things worthy of getting spanked for? You know, I, I, I see this as an outsider because I don't have my own kids, obviously. And I, you know, I grew up getting spanked, but... At the same time, like looking back, I'm like, did I learn from that or did I just learn to fear the person that was spanking me? So here, here's my take on it. Um, I, I mean, I spank Nikita every time I'm home with him hanging out. It just comes up because he doesn't listen. He doesn't, he just, he's just, no. And so uh, spanking as a corrective measure for kids only um, is effective maybe up to four or five years old. And after mm-hmm. that, it, it, I mean... The amount of force you have to um, actually use in order to extract a corrective behavior increases the older the kid gets. Right. Right. So right now I could take his diaper off and smack him on his bottom with my bare hand or a wooden spoon, you know, two or three times. And then I sit him down. I like, are you going to do that again? No. And he gives me a hug and a kiss and he's on his way. He's happy. Um, And so it definitely is a corrective measure because he understands that it's a threats with an actual side effect meaning if i say i'm going to give you a spank he already knows that there is a consequence Mm -hmm. and so i think it's valuable in regards to that and um you know but for to be honest most experiences of slavic people and slavic people growing up like you got beat right yeah and um i think that's that's an experience of a generation i think it was generation like it was just that's how you raise your kids Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You can't. Our parents obviously got spanked or I would even go so as far to say beat, you know, and it kind of trickles down into their ideology. You hear a lot of people say like, oh, I got spanked. I'm fine. But I don't know if that's a good way of thinking necessarily. And yeah, I don't I don't know. There's one pastor that spoke on this issue um, and he kind of advocated for not spanking. I remember it caused a lot of commotion, but. Uh, I just was glad someone was talking about it because it was, it was, you know, uh, pretty rampant. There was a lot of people in the Slavic community whose kids got taken away uh, because of spanking, you know, being taken into a American community where it wasn't very allowed. So it, it was interesting to see growing up the coalitions of spanking and not spanking. Uh, well, even talking to like people who are raising their kids now, people, my peers will have, you know, one year olds or just had newborns. Mm-hmm. And hearing them, most people don't want to spank their kids because of them getting spanked. 
But I, I don't think, I don't think, you know, not spanking your kid because you were spanked changes the rightness or wrongness of spanking. I think spanking is a tool that's been used for literally millennia in uh, humanity. Mm-hmm. And so it was effective. Scripture says to spank your kids, um, but it also puts strict parameters in regards to, um, you know, child abuse, for example, when Moses writes the law and he says, you know, if, if, if your son or your um, kid calls you a idiot or stupid, you bring them to the Sanhedrin, to, to the law officials, and then they stone them, right? The reason Moses wrote down the law is not because every kid who called their parent an idiot was going to get stoned. The reason was Moses took away the power of those parents to ever end their kids' lives, meaning it was a safeguard for the kid. How is it a safeguard if someone else just does it? The whole, the whole premise is no one's ever going to go to the authorities to have their kid put to death because they called him an idiot. Like that, that was the premise. And so the reason the law was made was the fact that if you did kill your kid, there was repercussions and severe punishments for killing your kid because mm-hmm. there was a law against it. Now you're not allowed to, you know, enhance the death penalty on your kid because that's not your role. And so that's yeah. the, it. May you know, in, when you read it, it sounds harsh, but if you look in the context of what's going on, like Moses actually prevented um, kids being murdered by their parents because he took away that power from them. Um, so sure. that's the point of that law. I also heard that, like, there's no example of that actually happening. Yeah, there is. I mean, no, because, you know, in the heat of the moment, you're upset. But if you take the time and the process, everyone who has kids, no one would ever send their kid to be, you know, put to the to death because they call them idiot. Like, I've never, I, I don't think I've ever met a parent who'd do that. Sure, you know? yeah. So that's just a parameter there. But, I mean... Yeah, there's so many different things that Russian parents and English parents do differently. Yeah. Even I would consider myself an American parent, but I still spank my kid. I think a lot of people, like you can see in the states, you know, there's spanking states, there's not spanking states. However, I do think that over time that will go away. I I think like in the next probably 30, 40 years, every area will be like a non-spank state. That's just my theory, just with the way the country's moving and the world is moving. But um, spanking kind of, I don't know if this is the right segue, but uh, it kind of brings us to slavery. <laughs> uh, crazy segue there, but it, it kind of, um, I don't know if you want to jump just into this, but that just made me think of the, um, I forget what verse it is, what exact one, but. Are, are you trying to think of the 39 lashes minus one, oh, 30, 40 lashes no. minus one? No. I'm thinking of, you can pull it up. If a man beats his male or female slave with a rod and mm-hmm. the slave dies as direct result, he must be punished, but, but, he, but he is not to be punished if the slave gets up after a day or two since the slave is his property. So I, um, I saw a video of comparing slaves, the beating slaves got to kids getting at the time because as long as, as they weren't being dead, like Moses said, like you can't put in the death penalty, but you can also beat them so severely that as long as they get up in the next day, 24 hours or 48 hours, you won't be persecuted. That wouldn't fly today, obviously, correct? Yeah, but, we, we live in a whole different culture, different context, different. We live in a different worldview. Sure. 
that was being advocated by the Bible at one point, though. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was the... Um, so when Moses writes the law in um, primarily Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy literally means the second giving of the law or the retelling of the law. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there are three kind of categories of law in which um, Moses categorizes all the writings, right? One would be ceremonial. That refers to all the religious practices of the Jews of the time, including the temple washings, the sacrifices to God. Then there was the uh, moral law, which we base our judicial and um, legal system on in the United States and most of the Western world. And then three, there was the law, the national law, or the law that applied to Israel as a nation. Um, And so we have, when you're reading about those things, right, it it was the law of the land at the time. And so mm-hmm. people may read that and say, well, first they had slaves, and then second, they beat their slaves. Right. Um, I think it's an unrealistic viewpoint to view uh, the world, or, or at least the ancient world, in regards to like criticizing the ancient world for having slaves. It was, it was just a... I don't think anyone's criticizing them for having slaves. I think the criticism that I've seen on the internet and throughout like discussion is not condemning slavery because uh, there's a lot of passages in the Old Testament where it goes into um, describing how, like for example, like the passage I just read, um, if you have a slave, which is, you know, we all understand that it, back in the day people had slaves, but it, God's not like saying, hey, don't have this slave. He's saying, oh, if you have a slave, beat them, but only to this point before they die. You know, so like, for example, homosexuality was a thing. God wasn't like, yo, be gay up to this point. No, God was saying, hey, if they're gay, you know, this is what happens. Like this, he doesn't, he condemns it. Yeah, it was, it was a, a, the death penalty for homosexuality. Yeah. And, but can I go back to what you said about slavery? Um, If you, you misquoted the verse, you said, um, God said you can have slaves and beat them up to this point. I, I'm summarizing, yeah. but yeah. Um, but there is no positive commandment to beat your slave. In fact, the reason why the law is there is to curtail. When you read books like Leviticus and like Deuteronomy, you can't read them as narratives or as um, clear-cut statements. You have to read them as legal um, books or books explaining laws that have references to cultures of the time. So, right, if you take the law and apply it to the culture in Israel, they're walking through the desert, they conquer and um, kill a whole lot of people to conquer the land of promise that God gave them. Sure. Right, and that's a whole other uh, moral dilemma that people raise with Christianity. But let's stick with the slavery and beating your slave. What Moses says there is if someone beats a slave, it's not condoned, just like getting married and polygamy was never condoned by God. It's just recognized that those things will occur, and they're putting punishments on to uh, the severe aspects of them to prevent those um, those issues at all. Because the, the, the theory would go like this. If you are going to get angry at your slave and beat him, mm. and, you, and you start beating him in your rage, you mm. might end up killing him. And the curtailment of fear was, well, if you're angry, don't beat your slave because you don't know where that's going to end up. You might possibly kill him. And so the, I guess, the motivation behind the law was 
don't be your slave. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. Like, but um, I, I think the point still stands that there are like way less smaller offenses than slavery um, that God just says, hey, don't do this, even if it could be a culture of the land at the time that uh, he just purely condemns. And nowhere until the New Testament does there is there a condemnation of slavery. Well, there is no condemnation of slavery in the New Testament either. Oh, well... You know what? That, you know, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's even a little bit more problem. Well, I mean, that's I don't think that's necessarily true because I was kind of looking into this and then Exodus. Um, um, let's see. What I meant by that was there's no clear directive for the Christian church to radically uh, revolutionize um, the government or this place they live in to the point where there is a dramatic change overnight where slavery is abolished. Rather, Christians are supposed to be Christians, and by them being Christians and converting people, people would want to treat their slaves so well and so hospitably and so nicely, they just become employees. The, <laughs> let, I, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but I think I, I think th there's an issue there is just saying like, oh, you're going to be so nice to your slave, even though that there's a a rule protecting you from beating your slaves, you know, obviously until death, uh, then that's bad. But if they're employees, you're going to give them 48 hours to like, oh, when, you know, well, you, what I'm saying when is, when was the last time your employer, you know, beat you up for doing something wrong and give you two days off? You know, what I'm saying is that, that, that you know, the whole point of the New Testament Bible, or like we're talking about the New Testament, right? The whole point of the New Testament, because William Wilberforce, the both sides of the civil war um wilbur who sorry wilbur war wilbur wilberforce was a um really strong proponent of abolition of slavery okay and so he was his but his basis for that was christianity and the basis of the south and wilbur Wilberforce, i believe was in britain but the South, the Southern United States during the Civil War, their basis on beating their slaves and treating their slaves miserably was Scripture as well. Okay. And so, what you have to do is say, "Hey, these people are using Scripture to deface the human, the God, God's image off of human beings, and this the guy is using Scripture to be the proponent of eradicating slavery completely." So, how do you, you know, put those two together and realize who's wrong and who's right and why? And so my whole point is, like, Scripture has no clear commandment against slavery. They just There's nothing in there about that. But Scripture always also has this um, idea that all men should be free because the only Lord that men should have is Jesus Christ. And so Christianity uses a longabout way to change culture, hearts, and minds, and uh, people themselves in order to eradicate institutions like slavery rather than revolutionary terms why by overthrowing government and causing wars. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. um, but as a as a as a religion, Christianity is antithetical to slavery. Just anti the, like their their the whole existence is supposed yeah. to be opposing slavery. Yeah, yeah. As if you take Christianity as a whole, um, then why? I, I guess then the question would bear: Why does their scripture promote it in um, in certain texts? Like, I guess we always criticize like the Quran for promoting. Uh, violence against infidels, right? Mm -hmm. There's a that critique, but their um, comeback would be, oh, no, as a religion, we promote peace, but you're 
you know, your holy text says otherwise in yeah. some certain situations. <laughs> I, you know, that that's the interesting thing to me because you're saying as a Christian, you're not supposed to have this horrendous thing as uh, slavery. As a Christian, you should be you, you should be so good to your slave that it's is uh, an employee. But there's verses that, you know, promote otherwise. Like, for example, in Leviticus uh, 25, 45 through 47, your male and female slaves are to come from nations around you. From them, you may buy slaves. You may also buy some of the temporary residents living among you and members of their clan born in the country, and they will become your property. You can, uh, you can uh, will them to your children as inherited property and can make them slaves for life. So there's clear text promoting the idea of owning a human, but I guess your point is to say that as a Christian, we should be above this because... So um, there's two category differences. One category difference would be, again, the law that was given in Leviticus was given to the nation of Israel specifically, not to Christians. That's why we have the New and Old Testaments. The only law that actually is transcendental and it transcends both the New and Old Testament is the moral law. Um, mm -hmm. But the law for ceremonial washings, like we still we don't we don't sacrifice bulls and goats on an altar. Sure. That's gone away with. Nor do we practice any of the ceremonial cleanings, like you know, um, even we don't we don't Christians don't even practice circumcision. So that was part of the context of the national laws of Israel, mm -hmm. and the reason they're saying, hey. The slaves you're getting are going to be from other nations because the alternative to taking slaves was to murder those people because you're at war. So there's there's two options when you're going to war in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Either you massacre everybody at all, meaning mm -hmm. there's no one left to mm -hmm. come back and you know up, make an upfront toward your army. And so you eradicate all the men. Without men, you have women and children left in a desiccated place with no food, no shelter. Those people are going to die out of, of exposure, exposure and starvation. Okay. And so the reason that law was given was to promote, um, as harsh as it is, I mean, the ancient world was harsh, promote the salv salvation of those people's lives through slavery. Meaning, if you're a slave, you have two things. You have food, you have shelter. And if you were a slave in a household you had protections under the israel's law like you had protections under god's law they weren't as great as you know jews obviously but it was better than the alternative of starving to death and being frozen to death out of exposure because it's like in the context of israel literally conquering nation states and eradicating them mm -hmm. from the land uh, i've heard that argument I think that argument is made uh, by the slave owners in the like in the early antebellum days of Southern slavery. Is these people were kidnapped? They were brought, you know, they were wartime slaves from Africa, brought here. Yeah, we're not paying them anything, but it's better than them starving in their uh, war-torn country, and it's better than like not having a house, house or um, someplace to stay and just freeze or uh, be severely, uh, you know, not have no food in the South. So I think it is a dangerous argument to make somewhat just because that is justified, you know, used to justify slavery here only two, three hundred years ago, I guess. So I, I do see some issues with that, but I do understand what you're saying. My my question would be, you said uh, there's moral and there's uh, what was the other word? Ceremonial. Ceremonial. Laws, yeah. Yeah. How do you distinguish the difference between the two? Because you're saying 
look, this stuff about slavery is, or, or, or other things are more ceremonial or more like anecdotal, or, or I don't know if that's the right word, um, things of the past of the Old Testament. So why is the Old Testament relevant to us then with the things like, why should we read about slavery in the Bible if it's not relevant? Why is it in there? So um, the reason the Old Testament, well, here, it's a multifaceted Yeah, sorry, question. No, big no, question. It's, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, so the way we distinguish the moral law from the ceremonial national laws, mm-hmm. one, are you an Israelite or a Jew? Now that I know. No, that means none of the national laws that Jews had applied to you because the nation state of Israel did not exist, right? Okay. For a long time in, in, in the proper sense. So those are out the door. So the fact that God you know, gave them the land and they were cast out and all the slavery issues and all the things that occurred in that way don't exist. Secondly, um, there's the ceremonial laws like the washings of the feet and mm. I mean the washings of the temple and sacrifices and all of the circumcision aspects of it those are all gone because the temple is no more in the New Testament literally Jesus says I have come to fulfill the law the law he's talking to fulfill is all all of the Old Testament ceremonies were pointing to Christ and once you fulfill them there's no longer a necessity for them right but uh, an example a lot of people would bring up is like the idea that God in his scriptures states that if you're um, if you're accused and condemned and found guilty of, for example, bestiality or homosexuality, um, right. or One rape the same. Oh. or rape, oh. you you would be put to death, right? Okay. And so people say, well, clearly uh, Christians claim homosexuality is not a is a sinful behavior, right? That's that's yeah, what that's Christians the, that's the and why aren't Christians putting homosexuals to death and stoning them, right? I mean, you know, I think there was a point where they were. I think just they're not in power anymore. You know, I, I think there's an argument to be made there. Uh, that uh, Yeah, and I would say that, again, God in his New Testament takes away the consequences in regards to that because there's no more actual authority given to. The church doesn't have any authority to put people to death or to condemn people. Sure. All the church has is the gospel, which is to proclaim the truth and um, tell all men that God commands them to repent. We don't actually have any justifiable action for violence against people who break the law. Just like if you, we were just talking about your car getting stolen, Mm. just like you can't go and hunt down and put the guy to death who stole your car, you have to call the police. Of course. Christians can't go and hunt down people who are um, breaking the moral law of the scriptures and go either put them to death or put them on trial or put them in prison, right? We have no, God is not calling us to that. Of course. But when Israel was a nation state and they were literally taking over the territory with war, the people groups of the Philistines, the Amorites, the Sad, you know, all the, all these people groups, I was about to say the Sadducees, but that's, that's, that's not, uh, Uh, um, a quick sidebar here. I, I'm curious just of your opinion on this. Um, the the traditional sense, or sorry, I keep forgetting the word you use for it, the um, moral and... Moral, ceremonial. Ceremonial, yes. So ceremonial. Do you consider baptism, um, you know, uh, here in the Slavic church, usually at 16 or 17, you get baptized. Is that something you consider ceremonial? Or do you think that's something uh, that doesn't really have the same meaning it once did? You know... Uh, I'm curious about your your thoughts on that. I know that's 
kind of all over the place, but I no, no, that makes sense. Um, so um, the the sign that God gave to the Israelites in regard in order for them to be God's people was circumcision. Mm-hmm. That was the covenant sign. Covenant meaning there is a bond which God declared to Abraham, and co- so here's what a covenant means, Old Testament wise. Um, a covenant means you and me make a deal. Sure. And if either one of us break that deal, there's a severe consequence for that. And usually it, it was enacted this way. What you would do is you would cut up a couple animals and you take them in half and put one half on one side and one side, one animal on the other side. And me and you make a covenant. We, we say, hey, I will never do this. And you say, you never do that. And then what we do is you, we walk in between those two halves of the animals and say, if I ever break my covenant, then what happened to these animals is going to happen to me. Mm. That is the consequence right. of my breaking the covenant. An extreme pinky promise. Yeah, very extreme pinky promise. And that's what Abraham, that's what God does to Abraham. And usually both people walk across the animals that are split in half. But when God made the promise to Abraham, only God went through those animals. Meaning that if Abraham breaks his promise to God, it is God who takes the punishment for Abraham. And God can break his promise because he's God. And that's the whole foreshadowing of Jesus Christ dying on the cross on behalf of sinners. Okay. So that's kind of the whole covenant aspect of it. Sorry, I'm getting lost. Oh, yeah, I, I think the question was, do you consider um, baptism? Right? Baptism. So. so that was the severe, that was, that was the Old Testament covenant with circumcision. Sure. Um, the New Testament covenant that we have with Christ is my sister recently got baptized, Julia. Yeah, congrats to her. Shout out to Julia. And what, what occurs in baptism, we state it, right? We baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, buried with Christ, and then raised with Christ, resurrected with Christ to life. Uh, what Jesus says is, go and baptize all nations, teaching them, um, you know, discipling them, making disciples of all nations. And the significance of that was, baptism is simply a symbolism of you dying to yourself, Okay. And being raised to Christ, but it is also a public proclamation that you are um, unapologetically joining the Christian Church with all the consequences intended with that. Meaning that you will not stray away from Christ. You are willing to die for Christ, and you are willing to suffer with Christ. And you know that you will be resurrected into glory with Him. Okay. So um, you can be a Christian and never be baptized and go to glory and be in heaven, but it is a commandment that god gives because it is a public proclamation of who you are as a christian so you you think you can be saved without getting baptized i know i, I know you can be saved without baptism okay. because uh there was a man who died next to jesus on a cross and jesus said to him today you will be with me in paradise that guy never got baptized right yeah of, of course and i think that bears the question is why do it i get because you, you yeah public everything but if it's something i don't have to do like if I was to be given a few tasks and they were like, this one's, this one's optional, you know, um, why do it? I guess out of obedience and love toward Christ. So Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So if let's say you're a Christian, you believe in Christ and you, you decide to follow Jesus as a Christian. Okay. Following that your faith, your faith produces evidence that you actually believe in Jesus. Like if I tell my wife I love her and I forget her anniversary, we have a problem, right? 
Uh huh. All right. Is this coming not, from? Uh... Have not done that. Oh, so there you far. go. Okay. No. <laughs> but if you claim to love Christ, then out of obedience and joyfully obeying Him, you will do what He asks of you. And one of the things He asks of you is to follow Him and to be baptized. The other things He asks of you is to, you know, um, abide in Him. Right. And a lot of people, you know, dive into the aspect of even sinning. Like you can still sin and be a Christian, right? But you don't want to yeah. sin when you're a Christian. You're, you're, you do sin and you want to sin in one sense, but in the other sense, you hate it. And so you're constantly trying to obey Christ, flawed though you are. And so one um, thing that should drive Christians to baptism is, hey, Jesus told you to get baptized. Do you love him? Yeah, I love him. Mm-hmm. Then obey his commandments. Okay. It's, it's, a free will, it's a free will desire to love God through your actions. And the significance of baptism is that you are proclaimed to the world that you, in fact, did. It's it's like um, you know wearing wearing your life on your sleeves, meaning you're actually acting like you're claiming what you believe in. Right. Does that make sense? That makes yeah. That, I get it. It's going above. Tom, and, you want to add anything onto my stuttering? It, it goes above and beyond. You're going above and beyond for God. That makes sense. I think I think you're not going above and beyond. I think you're doing the well, bare minimum by being. I, I would disagree with there because if the bare minimum is you don't have to get baptized and saved, that's that's the bare minimum. You know. Well, the bare minimum of being saved is you're laying at the bottom of the sea, rotting corpse, and Jesus Christ resurrects you to life. You have no actual volition of you desiring God or you participating in your salvation. God saves you. Like he 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 grabs you and he saves you. And yeah. after that, you're it's it's just obedience. And so, um, well, what was the person? How was the person on the cross obedient to God? They weren't. Yeah. So, I, I think I think the base. I guess you you believe I think slightly differently than um, the way we were raised. I believe yeah, you, yes. you've got a slightly. That, that's why I'm hearing. I didn't want. I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that makes. It, I right. just I just think the words above and beyond don't signif- um represents the uh, just the generic Christian experience like being baptized is an initial state of Christianity is not mm-hmm. an advanced level of uh, dedication right it's just like, like I would almost say it's the bare minimum it's like going to church it's like going it's like reading your Bible it's like praying it's just mm-hmm. simple things that you do in order to um, enact your faith sure. That makes that yeah I I, I get that you're uh, I personally think you're going above and beyond just because of if like the way I understand it is if the baseline is here then you're going above you know I think we can disagree on that one but there's there's no reason to really grind gears on that one it's just a small point but yeah I understand what you're what you're saying on so that point. Uh, one more thing I'd add to that in the Bible in Scripture. Um, the primary or the, the sequence of actions is someone believes and gets baptized. If, if you ever read scripture and you dive into you know, people being converted, being changed, mm-hmm. um, the um, sequence, the very next action they do is get baptized. It's just a sequence that all Christians in scripture follow. And we're just in that lineage of obeying Christ in that way. That's all I have to add, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I understand. Um, that's an interesting one. I um, I was gonna say, have you have you guys been both baptized? I'm curious. I don't know. Yeah, I was baptized when I was seventeen or eighteen. Seventeen years. I um, you know, there's a lot of criticisms I give to the Slavic Church. 
However, the one of the praises I do want to give is being baptized at an older age compared to like Catholics or other religions because shout out to the Presbyterians. Yeah. What, what time or when do the Presbyterians get baptized? They're baby dunkers, baby dunkers. Okay. Get LeBron James in there. So yeah, like at, you know, a few days after they're born or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's the one positive I want to give to like the Slavic church. Um, because I think even, even if 17 or 18 is, or 16 and or 17 is still somewhat young, you have a realization of like somewhat of a person that you are as opposed to like being a kid. It's, a, it's an actual choice that you've made rather than being forced yeah. into it. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. That's what I think at least. You know, you're interviewing me here. but ah, I hate so man. I, so no, go ahead. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, if, if, uh, if anyone doesn't know, Nick here is my cousin. I've known him for a long time. So it is interesting to see like our thought processes now that we're older because we have come up on the same religion um on I mean, the same yeah we principles. grew up we grew up two streets apart in the same neighborhood went yeah. to the same high school mm-hmm. same family so exactly um it, it's we, we recently got onto like we we have these bon i call them bonfire convos and one of the bonfire convos if i can bring this up and maybe we could briefly talk about it uh was the issue of abraham and his son and um we we started i um i brought up the fact or my sister brought up the fact that um she was puzzled by the idea of if god says do not murder then why did he tell abraham to go and sacrifice his son and it it sounded like you had some uh new information or kind of some new process of thinking about that i don't know if you wanted to share or if it was like, you're gonna bring that up so it's gonna take me an hour to <laughs> no I, if, if if it's long no. i was just curious maybe if, if you if got a new revelation no i did not no i was just uh following up um i was just listening to rc Sproul. he has a couple of sermons in regards to isaac and abraham and essentially um if you're if you're you know if you're reading the story and you're just diving in you if you have a moral framework from christianity and you're diving into Abraham, um, and then God asking Abraham to go sacrifice Isaac, mm-hmm. you would have to say that in order for God to ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, God has to suspend the moral law in order for God to ask him to do that. Because if God asks you to murder someone, and then it's against God's moral law to murder, well, then you're, God's asking you to do something that's opposed to his nature. Right. Yeah, and it... And it God doesn't do that. God, you know, God can't ask you to do something that um, makes you sin, that makes God ask you to sin. Like, that doesn't happen, right? It's contradictory. And so, um, I would look at it as a narrative, not a... um, so, 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 the story of Abraham and Isaac is a narrative in which God tests or tempts the faith of Abraham in order to see how willing... Abraham is to obey God and if the story had ended differently then it would be a different conversation right it'd mm-hmm. be a different conversation but every time I had this discussion and that I think we also talked about it when we had the discussion the first time was the only reason it's wrong for Abraham to murder Isaac or to go sacrifice Isaac to God is God's law outside of God's law what moral dilemma do people have to murder because throughout all the people groups around Isaac 
people mm-hmm. were daily sacrificing their children to deities. It was it was it was actually supported in their moral laws. Right. And so, what makes Abraham so wicked, other than the very law of God? I think that's the whole point. Is that uh, God is supposed to be all encompassing, knowing being, loving being. Th- that I think a lot of people look at as a holy being and we don't see murder as a holy thing. You know, I think um, that's the whole issue that a lot of people have with God himself. Like, how does God allow such horrendous things to happen when he's supposed to be this beacon of light? Um, that's one of the puzzling things. And one of the things that um, makes people like really think about the Bible, I would say, is the question that you brought up. Just because other people were killing you know, during the time, I don't think excuses it um, now that it's not okay. Well, the question would be, why is it not okay now? Is it is it just that we've progressed to a new form of morality, right? From which we will progress even further a thousand years from now? Or is there an actual concrete morality that humans um, navigate and operate on? Um, that'd be the question. And just a couple of points to um, the things um, mentioned there, right? One, Abraham did not, in fact, murder his son. Sure. And God uses it as a narrative to prophesy the coming of Christ. And, you know, the same mountain on which Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac, God sacrificed his own son. And when um, Christ was going up to the mountain, God's hand did not stop. But he actually finished the act of the murder of his only begotten son. Right. right. So I would say that those points make the narrative in other words god god's whole purpose of that story was not in fact for abraham to murder his son but for abraham to play out a role which would prophesy god's coming and um yeah if god in fact allowed abraham to murder isaac it would be sinful it would be unholy it would be wicked but god did not and so we have to play in these parameters and i I feel like that's the whole point of the story the reason people are so attracted to this story is one if it was, if God wanted to portray Himself as this perfect being that is easily understood and has no complexity, and Scripture was just a fake book written by moralists, there was no way that story would have ended up in Scripture, mm-hmm. right? Because like it's it's too complicated, it's too um, difficult to just say, hey, yeah, this is clear, black and white, right? And so I think that. Uh, the stories in scripture are a lot more complex than a lot of um, superficial Christians give them credit for. And I love the fact that you said, like, it makes people think. Right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. Is it is it sinful to have murderous thoughts? Is it sinful to have murderous thoughts? Yes. Okay. So, God, at, I think what you're saying is he didn't complete the murderous thought, but he had the murderous thought. So Abraham was sitting that entire day. One, he was saying, Man, is it, do you, I mean, no human being could ever say, like, Abraham 100% was sure that it was God who spoke to him. Like, God, that was God. Dude, he was, he was questioning God the entire time he was going up the mountain. Mm-hmm. He, he, when, when, the, when Abraham leaves the servants at the bottom of the hill, he says, yeah, we, we, me and Isaac are going to go up the mountain, and me and him are going to come back. He didn't say, me and Isaac are going to go up the mountain, and only I'm going to come back. He lied to them. So Abraham is a sinful human being who's sinning constantly. Sure. I don't think the problem is him sinning. I think the problem is when God asks him to sin. Correct? 
I think that's the whole issue here is yeah. God, maybe he didn't fulfill sin, but maybe, but he put sin into his head. So suppose, I think I brought up this example when we were arguing about this is if you're going to go, if you're about to cheat on your wife, you're driving, but you didn't, you did you turn around to don't do it. You still cheated. Yeah. That was, you were, you were lusting and exactly. Lust that's why I said, is it wrong to think murderous thoughts? Yeah. And well, a couple of things, murderous thoughts. When Jesus talks about murderous thoughts, he says, if you have hatred in your heart toward your brother, mm-hmm. then you have committed murder in your heart. Um, I don't, Isaac didn't hate, I mean, sorry, Abraham didn't hate Isaac. He loved him. And that's why he had such a complicated journey to go up the mountain. We are not given in scripture what Abraham thought, so I can't really, you know, posit that hypothetical. Like, I don't know what Abraham was thinking. I would assume that he loved Isaac. And that's why it was such a difficult task, but he also wanted to obey God. Um, and again, God writes, God plays rough with his characters and God writes beautiful stories with his characters. And that was one of the ways God wrote a story to foreshadow something. But um, I guess that's the best explanation I, of, of the synapse I can give. I mean, we could dive into, I remember we brought up a whole bunch right. of examples do of you, that. Do you have... Um I'm because you you must be like me like I, there there's there must be like a skeptic in a, in you almost. I'm at very times. skeptical. Yeah. Right. Of course. Is there part of you that reads? I mean, it's probably one of the reasons you kind of changed your whole uh, viewpoint on religion. I guess in in a sense of like the way you view it and like the denomination you're a part of. Is there a part of you that ever reads the Bible and and, and you Tom as well like that you just read this and you're like does this does this make sense? You know, it, like it, it, parts of stories. Because uh, we touched upon the idea of deconstruction, and oh, actually, and, and you had notes, yeah. yeah, and you had some fond words to say about people that deconstruct. Just but forgive your pastor and just, your parents. Yes, trauma doesn't exist. Uh, forgive your pastors. Um, you know, maybe we could touch upon that after. But I guess do we read my, the Bible my, skeptically, Tom? You want to you want to answer, and I can answer after you. Um, that's an interesting question. Well, yeah, the, I mean, I would be lying if I never said I had questions or doubts or fears when I'm reading scripture, like when something comes up. Um, but ultimately, uh, I don't know, something. It's like when you're reading the scripture, uh, there's always there's always a lot of questions. And it, I think there's a lot of questions because it helps test your faith. In the same way that I was like, you have questions about Abraham, like why he murdered his son. I see it. Abraham did not murder his son. <laughs> I just want to clear that up. Oh, uh, well, he was going to go kill his son. Um, it's interesting because there's like, there's a ton of, there's a ton of questions that like I have to go through myself. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like, there's not, there's not, like, there's not, this doesn't seem like there's always, um, maybe that question isn't completely answered all the time, but a lot of times, like, most questions that I do have when I'm reading scripture, if I just, like, re- reread it a lot of times, mm-hmm. or I just, like, understand that other Christians have struggled with the same thing, and I just go and read what, um, like what they saw, what I didn't. And I mean, a lot of times that helps a lot. Do you, can you see the 
mind of a deconstructor from that point of view sometimes like when someone when you're, you're reading this stuff and you're mm-hmm. looking for answers can you understand when people say oh okay this kind of doesn't make sense you know do you see the people's perspective on that they're like whoa th- hold on a second like i i kind of was brought up with this there's a lot of inconsistencies here let me see this from a third point perspective or from a different view so yeah uh, I, I guess that's just like my question to the both of you. So uh, here is how I view when I read scripture. So it comes down to the um, epistemology that you have in your head. Epistemology just meaning that what is your foundation for believing or knowing things? Like, do you, what do you know? My presupposition, the, the thing I come in with reading the Bible is the Bible is the fact that the word of God, God exists okay. and God cannot lie. And so if I read scripture, it must be true. That does not mean I read the scriptures just accepting every single thing without considering options or difficulties in it, right? There are some really challenging passages in scripture that um, made me really like figure, try to figure out what they mean or I can't comprehend them or they're too challenging to understand. They're just weird. Uh, and so I can't grasp them and it takes me a long time to like, process through um some of the passages but as, as as a fundamental line when i read the bible i trust it and i have faith in it and what, what i mean by faith is my initial foundation like if, if i talk to anybody my initial foundation my assumption is the bible is true period full stop okay and from that from that starting point I mean, I have all sorts of questions. I have all sorts of discussions. And doubt always creeps in. Like, did the fish really swallow, swallow Noah, right? Did um, Jesus Christ really resurrect? Was was Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, right? All these miraculous things have skepticism to it. But at the end of the day, um, either, either, you know, God created this world and he gave us scripture mm-hmm. or he didn't. And whatever you think about, what do you, whatever you think about the Bible directly corresponds to whatever you think about who God is. So if God can't lie, God can't break a promise, God is all-knowing, all-good, all-powerful, then his word reflects him. Mm-hmm. And if I start doubting his word, I start doubting him. And as a Christian, I believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in me, and so he himself helps me understand supernaturally, without logical explanation, some specific passages through logic, but like there, there is a supernatural aspect sure. to it. And one more, one more sorry, sorry, yeah, no, no. I didn't mean to cut And you lastly, um, it is in complete opposition of the skeptics of from like secular skeptics, because secular skeptics come in with the mentality that if it doesn't fit into a, a naturalistic framework or a scientific mm-hmm. framework, like there's no way, you no know, people just rise from the dead after being dead three days. It's mm-hmm. like that's that's physically impossible. It has to be supernatural. And my response to them would be like, well, if you know, if the dead don't rise and resurrections doesn't occur then how can you believe that you know a organic material boiled for billions of years and created life that's also resurrection just add a few billion years to it sure right and so i have i have those discussions in my head because i'm not a perfect perfect person i have doubt and i but i war against my initial i guess stance is that i war against doubt and i take with trust the word of god and i push away all all the other things mm-hmm. now a lot of issues come up is when i misunderstand texts and i think they mean one thing and they actually mean another thing and that's challenging sometimes so it's an imperfect 
experience of reading scripture, but my foundational skepticism is not, is the scripture correct? My initial skepticism is, am I understanding this properly? Does that make sense? That makes sense. And it's a very fundamentalist position, but I am fundamentally Christian and I fundamentally believe the Bible is true. Yeah, exactly. I think that's maybe where I can play devil's advocate a little bit is because you start off. Uh oh, Uh oh, um, I guess that's where I can play a little bit of a devil's advocate um, with this. Uh, By you, deconstruction, you, you mean? Um, just about, I guess, that phrase and in, in deconstruction is a little bit more so, is you start off the question as, is this true? But you can you start the question off as, no, this is true. Why is it true? Right? I think the critique is, how can you criticize any other religion? Because they have the same blind faith that they do. Like if I'm reading the Quran, if I'm reading the Torah, they start off the question as if how is this is true? Why is it true? And if we're all starting off the conversation like that, then uh, how how can you convert someone to Christianity? How can you convert someone to a different religion if you already have a pre notion in your head? I think the uh, the the upside that science does have on this sometimes is they can look at something not saying this is true they say wait a second is this true you know I, it, it might not be a perfect thing like you said like oh b- over millions of years evolution or, or boiling things but i think when they look at something like that they can say wait a second do we need to reevaluate this i think when you're looking at things biblically you never say is god real you say god is real how can i prove it so fundamentally, um, a couple of things. You can't disprove who God is, right, obviously. And science only science can only prove naturalistic things. For example, um, how does how, why is why is a kettle boil? Well, a scientist would say a kettle boils because um, the heat element in the kettle mm-hmm. warms up the water. The water expands due to temperature rising, and then it creates vapor, and that's why the kettle boils. And also depends on if you're at sea level and your elevation. And I can say in response to that, no, the reason the kettle's boiling is because I wanted tea. Meaning that science can only answer one aspect of knowledge. Mm-hmm. The other aspects like philosophy, like theology, like is there life after death, right? Um, where did we come from? What's the hu- what's the purpose of humanity? Is it is anything right or wrong? Science has no answer to, and so we must go outside of science to, um, you know, have the discussion there. And sure. so the Bible is not a scientific book, and never claimed to be. In fact, it has has no it has a lot of relevance to science, but it doesn't ever. It was never meant to be apl- applied as a scientific book in any sense. Um, does it mean it has anti-science things in there i don't think the bible has any science things that are anti-science because god science is well, literally knowledge I, I, god I, I don't know if that's true because it, like for, for just off the top of my head it, god created the earth in seven days science has a different answer for that but i think my my point still kind of and, stand- and i would ask which scientist because if sure. you look at science there's and that's the whole point it's relative right and so um and you went we're going back to the, your question like how can i judge any other religion um Every religion and every scientist has a presupposition, meaning that scientists have the presupposition that the laws of logic, the laws of um, physics, the laws of science are constant. That's well, a presupposition right. that can't be proved, right? And so 
I have a presupposition that the word of God is the word of God. And people say, well, you can't prove that. And my whole response is it corresponds with reality, meaning that the Bible has the best answer to what we experience as human beings in reality. Mm -hmm. It has the best answer to where we're from, where we're going, and what it means to be a human being. Mm -hmm. that, that, that would be my answer. And we could dive into like what those things are. Yeah, I would, I would disagree with that um, just because I, I, I don't necessarily think that th those answers are uh, answered by religion and more poignantly by the Christian religion specifically. Um, I think my, my extreme point or not extreme, my overall point with it is just if you ask uh, with signs, you can continue to ask the question of uh, why, but with religion, you always have the first answer answered for you and then everything comes after. So you can continue to adapt with science. It's not something that's perfect. It's not something that's constant. Someone might come in and say, look, Newton's laws have actually been wrong. It's this way. But those things can adapt and overcome over time. Where with religion, like right now, we're arguing slavery. Like I'm saying, hey, slavery, this is said this about this in the Bible. Now we see slavery as something that is immoral. It can never change. It can never change that passage. And I think that there are issues with that. But I don't, I don't think slavery is inherently immoral. Well, I, I would, uh, slavery is definitely inherently immoral. I don't know how, how you, well, here, here's an example. Um, the new Testament claims that we are slaves and the word is doulos meaning slave, not sure. servant slaves to our kurias, which is Lord. Our Lord is Christ. So we as Christians proclaim that we in fact are slaves of the Lord meaning that we will obey to death everything he commands. And so, and so um, in Christianity, right there, slavery is not inherently evil. Now, if you say, is it inherently evil to, uh, you know, kidnap. kidnap someone, put them in chains, make them work for the rest of their lives for free, and then punish them, abuse them, and, and possibly murder them, yeah. The scripture says that's evil, mm -hmm. right? But as a socioeconomic um, issue, people sold themselves into slavery for the exchange of protection, food, and family for millennia. But that's a decision they made. Yes. But S most times we think about slavery is without decision. And, yeah, and, it, God, it makes... con and God condemns kidnapping. Okay, yeah, but it also says go to other lands and take from them slaves and obviously we can't shackle them for many days but you can beat them until they're good for two days so, <laughs> so i think that there's going, an issue but there. that's going back to the separation between the moral law the ceremonial law and the national law israel was commanded and commissioned by god to in fact eradicate all the people groups mm -hmm. from the land that god promised israel and the reason they were eradicated is because they were being immoral and sinful and committing acts that are very atrocious and God in his justice decided to punish them just like if God would have opened up the earth and swallowed them straight into you know hell or he would have used a tsunami and just wiped them from the face of the earth God used the people group of Israel to conquer them and God uses uh, later on Assyria to conquer Israel in the same way as a punishment for this for the sin um, it's in the context of God's um, essentially God's moral okay. framework. 
Yeah, I mean, questions like that just kind of, uh, I think, further, you know, the idea and I think the, I guess, what would be another word for okayness of deconstruction, of questioning, of skepticism, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think the main difference between you and I when we were talking about this, about deconstruction itself, and I'm sure you have some questions right there. I don't know if that's what you're looking at, yeah. but perfect, um, is, is that I was thinking it's okay to do this because if, Christianity overall is correct. If, if the, if X is always going to be Christianity equals X, then you'll always come to the same conclusion. Is that like, I don't know if you see my logic there. Like if I'm, if I'm going to question the answer and it's always Christianity, I see no reason to look at other formulas. Yeah. I I got, I got what you're saying. And I would say, depending on your presupposition. And here's what I mean. If you believe that, if you believe that, truth is relative or that truth can be grasped or somehow created in regards to the moral law. Let's just use the moral law because it's easier. Um, Outside of, and I I think I asked you this question too, we kind of discussed it. Outside of Christianity, let's take away the Ten Commandments and God's law that's, you know, in the Bible. Outside of God, without self-referencing, meaning I think this is good and therefore I think it's moral, where would we get morality? And that's a big challenge right? yeah. um, for deconstructionists because what deconstruction does is they use the very principles and laws of logic and of morality that is derived from scripture to criticize scripture. But if they weren't able to use, they weren't able to use those very laws of morality that were taken from scripture, those are gone now, they wouldn't have a standard or a basis on judging scripture because we, what, we, what we'd say is like, hey, just another religion, just another relative framework of morality. Mm-hmm. You can believe this one, you can believe that one. Um, you know, a great example would be like, science will give you data and you could pinpoint data, mm-hmm. but science will never make a scientist or give a moral framework f- to a scientist to report that data fairly and correctly and truthfully. Hence the COVID p- pandemic from last year, right? Wait, wait, explain that a little bit more. So you're saying, that because we have data, the science provides data, then we can't interpret that data correctly. Is no. Is so so let's say let's say I do an experiment in regards to um, do flies can flies swim or do they drown? Okay. Right. And I find out that flies in fact drown. They can't swim. No, obviously flies have buoyancy, but in this case I use a solution that makes fly, flies sink, and my solution makes flies die. Okay. Um, I have according to science, I have no obligation at all morally to report that information properly, meaning that flies, in fact, drowned. I can write flies sank or flies floated, and there is no scientific basis on which you can say, well, that was wrong of you to write down the incorrect information, the incorrect data, meaning science provides data, but it doesn't give you a reason to to do anything with it, moral or immoral. I, I mean, I would argue that there's peer, there's peer review. Yeah, yeah, but... Peer review isn't scientific. It, there's a moral, there's an external factor that goes into peer review, meaning you have to be honest. Science mm-hmm. can never give you a reason to be honest. It just right. gives you cold data and observational statistics, right? Here's the problem with that is you can redo a experiment and say, oh, no, that was wrong. You, what you wrote down, it wasn't sufficient enough with my findings. And then someone else can double those findings. How can you do that with religion? You can't. And that's the whole point. That's, I think that's my whole criticism. Religion was never made to be, well, it was never made to be 
um, viewed under a microscope or viewed in a way where you have data points. Religion was made for you to recognize. Well, I'm going to use the word religion in the sense that um, scripture uses religion, meaning the way people view the world properly. And if you take scripture and you read it mm-hmm. and you look at the world, you will see that scripture rightfully authenticates the experience of the human condition uh, it gives you the proper understanding of worship gives you the proper understanding of who god is and how to live your life in a way where you're, there's ultimate satisfaction and that ultimate satisfaction comes from you worshiping obeying and loving god forever yeah I that, can, that's kind yeah. of the thesis of the christian religion i can agree with that to a certain extent i think living by christian morals to some extent um, leads to a better life. Like, for example, um, not killing, obviously. <laughs> you know, that, that would suck. I would want, wouldn't want to go to jail. I wouldn't want to do all these other things. Um, not lying, not cheating. Uh, things like, um, to some extent, you know, like even saying like waiting till marriage uh, was one of the covenants. I think there's uh, benefits there. Um, there's There's a whole lot of benefits to religion itself, but there are questionable parts that, when looked at, I can see how people deconstruct. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there is, there is, people can de- deconstruct and have valid reasons for deconstruction. Yeah. But, again, the reason I said forgive your parents is because there's a comedian named John Christ. And his whole, whole thing is that it boils down to an experience and an emotional thing where you've experienced something that hurt you, like spiritually, emotionally. Mm-hmm. It, it gave you pain. Either it was a family member or a church member or an experience with the church. And the reason most people deconstruct is not because they're purely intellectually um, bound to information. It primarily has to do with an experience that has offended them in some way where they have, you would use the word trauma, I would use grievances uh, toward a particular person, which they have bitterness toward. And they their process of venting is through attacking the very form by which they have experienced that grievance. Mm-hmm. You, that's not all people, but I feel like that's if if I were to deconstruct, it'd be for that reason, not not the uh, you know reasonable, logical, intellectual reasons. Okay, you know I think that just human beings are created that way. We um, deconstruct oh. primarily for emotional and spiritual reasons. Isn't that the whole point of religion is for religional, region, uh, religious and spiritual reasons? Yes. So if you are offended by something of that sort and you're not getting the satisfaction of being getting happiness from this religion anymore, like you said, it's the point, the basis of living a good, healthy life. And if that's not causing you to live a healthy, uh, plentiful life, I don't, I don't see where you're a position with for them to be like, wait a second, let, let me take a second look at this. So... I would say that people who have been hurt by the church or mm-hmm. by pastors, friends, parents, um, to go and to deconstruct Christianity, meaning to find holes in it and um, intellectually try to prove it wrong, will not bring you healing. It would not. It will not satisfy you. It will not make you happy. In fact, it will create more bitterness, more um, resentment. And my solution to people who have been hurt by the church is to forgive them, forgive the people who hurt you as Christ forgave you. And that radically transforms your viewpoint from being victimized to being actually victorious over over, over the people who hurt you because 
Um, people can't hurt you if you're not, you know, bitter. Because hey, I've already forgiven you. There's there's nothing you have on me that can trigger or um, make me feel as though I am somehow ashamed or guilty or I'm somehow feeling neglectful. And the ultimate um, reason for religion is not happiness in the sense of like I feel happy every day but it is a true recognition of who God is even in the most difficult harshest moments of your life like if you're if you're on your deathbed mm-hmm. and you have stage four cancer and you are in pain and suffering mm-hmm. that specific moment was planned out and laid out by God purposefully for your good that's that's the basis of the Christian religion and so um, I would say that people who have been hurt it's always a good idea to ask questions. In fact, if your pastor hurt you in a way where he was unbiblical, hey, speak out. Say, that guy, that guy, he was unbiblical and used the word of God as a standard to actually call him out on his misbehavior, on things he did wrong. But don't criticize the very standard that you're using to, to you know, say that he did a bad thing. Like, if you're criticizing the standard, then how do you know he actually did a bad thing? You have to first affirm that, in fact, that standard, I could say a pastor harmed you in a way where he spoke, he, he, he blabbed things that you said in confidence, right? And scripture says, like, you're not supposed to hurt your brother in that way, right? Okay. And if you say, well, I'm going to go and attack the thing that says you're not supposed to hurt your brother in, a, in that way to get back at the pastor. It's like, no, recognize that you're not supposed to hurt people in that way. Right. And then use that very scripture to say, hey, pastor, you did this to me. And if you don't, you know, say, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I really am, I'm sorry that I hurt you, and please forgive me. If he doesn't do that, then know that he will have to stand before holy and an infinite God, and he will have to respond for that thing he did. And so, ultimate justice and ultimate, ultimate punishment for everybody, no mm-hmm. matter if you got away with it in this life or you didn't. Like, Hitler got away, got free, he shot himself, no big deal. No, he didn't. He has to stand before God. And so, my whole spiel about that is like the best way you can go about life is yeah ask questions dive into scripture criticize scripture but also recognize that you can use scripture to actually mend your life and forgive your pastor you can criticize your pastor you can expose your pastor people (laughs) your parents whoever whoever hurt you you can point at the bible and say god said you are wrong and if you don't change your ways and you Mm. don't you know ask for forgiveness, you have a much harsher punishment than anyone could ever give on this earth by me being mean at, mad at you or exposing you. Like, God, they will have to answer to God. And so I think a lot of people who deconstruct are have been hurt, like really hurt, and you would use trauma. I'd use a grievance or uh, I'd use um, bitterness or just, just being hurt. And the way of healing is not by deconstructing. The way of healing is to forgive, mm-hmm. acknowledge, and move on be a benefit to people you know yeah i i don't think you said anything like incorrectly i think if someone was unbiblical to you you call them out on your biblicalness but i, I think i think the issue here is um i think why you think people de- deconstruct i think you think people are just hurt by the church and they leave it for that reason i don't think that's typically true i think the reason for a lot of people's deconstruction is a variety of things I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah, they they see the inconsistencies in the Bible. Sometimes they're confused by them. They 
have a group of people that are often not following the biblical ways and standing up for it is, is challenging hypocrisy. There's a lot of things that go into it. So the way you're the scenario you're describing is when someone is just offended by one thing and they're like, Oh, that's it. I'm done with God. I very rare. And I don't think that's typically what happens. I think usually deconstruction is a battle. Deconstruction is a battle with yourself because you believe something for your whole life. And when um, opposing data comes in or opposing thoughts come in, you're like, wait, but I, I believe this is my structure. This is my home. How can this be wrong? I, I think you're invalidating the uh, battle that happens with deconstruction. I feel like you think that people just take the, what is the saying, the throw away the baby with the bathwater. Uh, bath I don't think that's what happens. I think that there's a big... Um, internal battle that actually goes on. So, and yes, um, I would say that there is an intellectual battle that goes on. My whole point was ultimately the reason people reject God is not for any intellectual reason. It has to do primarily with a rejection of him for the sake of him being God and him controlling your life and telling you what to do and making you submit to his law. You don't think people leave the, uh, leave the Christian religion for logical reasons? Um, they may, um, they may believe that they're logical, but ultimately I'm saying in the heart, in the heart, in the heart of every heart of human mm-hmm. beings. And this is not for me, this is scripture. Scripture says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, meaning that everyone who, every, every hardened atheist in the world, this is the, this is the claim of scripture, the claim scripture makes every hardened atheist in the world deep down knows that when they die, there is going to be a God. And they suppress it deeper, deeper to the point where intellectually they don't, they don't believe that. They don't recognize that. And so hmm. uh, I would say that – and Tom, you can jump in if you have something to add. I would say that people who um, walk away from the faith, mm-hmm. they may have intellectual reasons. But the reason they have those intellectual reasons is because they didn't dive deep enough in regards to scripture and explanations. They didn't do enough research mm-hmm. um, because, dude, we have the internet now. You could find out absolutely any subject in regards to Christianity, biblical translations, um, moral, like all the things I've spouted out, I found out from YouTube and reading articles. So, and I'm dumb compared to, you know, (laughs) actual intellectuals, actual pastors, actual um, theology professors. So if you can, if you want to turn to them, they will have all the answers. But boiling down, um, Tim Keller had this, um, and you know, this is an anecdote, so I'm not criticizing everybody for this, but. Ultimately, he boiled this down. He's like, he was talking to one of his students, I think uh, freshman, second, uh, sophomore year. He's like, and the students didn't come up to him. He's like, I don't really know if I believe in the inerrancy of scripture, meaning, you know, there might be some errors in there. Mm-hmm. And um, they kind of had the conversation and then Tim Keller turned to personal. So how's your personal life going? And it, it ends up being that he um, was sleeping with his girlfriend and he kind of wanted to keep on doing that. And so he wanted mm-hmm. to get rid of scripture. I'm not saying that's everybody, but a lot of people claim intellectual reasons for heart issues and scripture and the the christian religion always points to our heart issues that we need to change and the intellectual reasons will always be you know added on we'll always learn more we'll always learn more so it's not for the lack of evidence that people leave christianity because there's plenty of it it's Mm -hmm. for lack of recognizing or wanting to recognize that god controls your life and you're in fact a slave to a lord 
I think that's the dynamic that ultimately, if you really boil down, you start talking to people on a personal level, it'll come to that. Maybe, but who wants to be a slave? You know, I think would be the argument, you know, well, who would want to be a, a, like at the end of the day, why serve in heaven and then you can rule in hell, right? I mean, why, why, or I guess you could think about it. Why serve God and then find out he's not there. So what, what was that? Is the wager? What, what, whose wager was that? Do you remember? Pascal's, Pascal's right? Pascal's. wager, right? The fact that and he concluded the fact that like, hey, the, the safer bet is to believe, not, sure. not to believe. But like you said, if you, live a, if you live a moral Christian life, you will have a very satisfactionary and pleasing. I was listening to a podcast recently, Joe Rogan's podcast, and they were even like, you know, he, he's obviously into psychedelics. And he was discussing this with one of his guests. He's like, and I've heard this from a whole bunch of secular people, atheists, whomever I listen to. Everyone boils mm-hmm. down to the fact, like, dude, innately, all people have this desire inside them to worship something. Like, everyone worships something, hmm. right? Okay. Whether whether it be Islam, whether it be pantheism, whether, whether it be Christianity, whether it be yourself, or whether it be hunting, right? Everyone is so, you know has something they're so engraved in, they, they literally worship it. Yeah, everyone everyone has their I guess some people call it hobbies, their addictions, their the, the things that bring them dopamine. Yeah, but what I would say it's more it's more than just a chemical reaction. People become slave like people become slaves to something. And that's what scripture says in Romans like you were once a slave to unrighteousness, now you're a slave to righteousness. So, you know, when people say, "Well, who wants to be a slave?" It, my response would be it doesn't matter if you want to be a slave or not. You will always be a slave as a human being. You're sure. either you're either a slave to your sin and your unrighteousness or, or your lifestyle, or you're a slave to God. You can't choose to be free. You're you just you're just choosing between two masters. Either it is you on the throne of your life, directing it and making sure you want to live the way you do, or it is God on the throne, and that's the decision that's being made. Yeah. But there's no actual you know freedom in the sense of like you are outside of this world do you get what i'm saying i get what you're saying you're always gonna follow something i just my question would be is that there are christian people are there non-christian people that that live a good life as well there's atheists that live a perfect life there's Mm. muslims that live a perfect life Mm -hmm. there's buddhists that live Mm -hmm. a perfect Mm -hmm. and healthy life Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm in art art class right now and we're talking about periods of um like the golden ages for every for every um uh, community civilization. civilization thank you and not all of those civilizations were christian not all of those civilizations were christian by any means they were very successful without god and the principles like they um for, for example the cretes they were actually a matriarchal society ruled by women so i i think that there's a lot of fundamental things that aren't christian about their society but it still flourished there's a lot of things about like the Persian society, which are an Islamic religion, slightly different than Christianity. So I'm not going to discuss. Still yeah, per- per- Persians were not. Islam is a very recent religion. Persians were mostly deistic and they believed in all kinds of deities. H- Hinduism. Hinduism. At a point, yeah. you know, they flourished. They made mathematical progressions. They make medical progressions. Well, there, there were there were hundreds of civilizations before Christianity even existed. So mm-hmm. that's a, that's a point well taken, right? Um, 
Christianity doesn't claim that you can't prosper without it. Christianity claims that you will not have life without it. And by life, I mean zoi. There's, there's two kinds of lives. Okay. Bio, bios, meaning biological life. That's where we get the word. And zoi is like, is the Greek yogurt. Our pastor did a sermon about this. You know, there's a the Greek yogurt with zoi on it, meaning life. Yeah, I have some in my life, fridge. Life with abundance, <laughs> meaning life eternal. There's this concept that all people have. The Greeks use the word logos. Um, mm-hmm. The Hebrews use the epitome or the idea of light. Um, this life of zoi, meaning there's ultimate purpose and satisfaction. And the Christian framework frames it this way. God created you to worship. And unless you worship him, you will never have satisfaction. And um, so that's kind of the framework that I, I think makes sense. But mm-hmm. so you, you brought up a very interesting word. You said there were many perfect um, you know, people and civilizations mm-hmm. in the past. I would say I think you're misusing the word perfect. Okay. Right? There was not a single human being that was ever perfect. Not a single civilization that was ever perfect. There was not a single human being or civilization that was ever good. Perfect is an exaggeration, obviously. But I'm saying that... But even Christ says, there's no one who's good. All have... And Roman says, all have strayed away. All have fallen. um, All have stopped seeking for God. No you know what I meant God. by good, though. I think what you meant is that people flourished. They had yeah. they had kids. They raised families. They had dopamine in their brains, right? Mm-hmm. But there was no ultimate satisfaction. Christ doesn't claim that you can't be happy without him. Like, I'm not claiming that homosexuals or drunkards or... Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone could be happy with whatever context they live in. But they can't have satisfaction in the mm-hmm. ultimate sense without Christ. Because... You were literally created for it. It's like trying to, you know, fly a plane without any propellers or wings. Like, you weren't made for that. You were made for a specific purpose, and that purpose is to worship God and enjoy Him forever, mm-hmm. because He's the one who made you. That's the Christian uh, understanding of human beings and humanity. So you're saying you can't reach Nirvana without God? I wouldn't use that word because Nirvana but, means that you are one with the universe. I think sure, that, but I think the, the way the modern use of Nirvana is like the the, the generic um, frat bro or or um, you know American teen would use Nirvana. Yes, but you're it, saying because Nirvana has to do with the the dis- band. Di- yeah, <laughs> the dissipation of an individual. Christianity has this idea that no, the individual is, is an individual forever. Like you as an individual will not dissipate you will remain intact forever. Like in, That's the difference between Eastern and Western religions. Western mm-hmm. religions believe that um, you are an individual, like you as a human being are one. Um, uh, Eastern religions have this idea that everyone is one. And so when you die, you dissipate and you stop existing as you are. Right. Um, you know, that's kind of, that's why, that's why I said Nirvana is. Sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit different. I, I see what you're saying. However, um, the, I, I think, what we're failing to realize here is that you're saying that others aren't as happy as you because no, no, they're I not. I disagree with that. I think I think they're they're, they're not reaching this sort of quote unquote nirvana because I would, I would say that there are atheists who are much happier than me. Okay, they're, then they're, what's why should they follow the Christian religion? Because Christianity is not about happiness. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's obviously about getting into the afterlife, right? No. Well, if I, the I whole keep, precedent. Keep, yeah, of I it. keep on coming back to this idea of the Christian creed. It's from the Westminster Confession. It's it's a creed. Um, humans exist to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I could have messed that up, but that's that's the basic principle. 
we exist to the chief end of man. The chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. Okay. Meaning one, like the chief end, meaning the ultimate, if you, if you want to really experience what it means to be a human being, mm-hmm. you will one glorify God with everything you do in your life. Okay. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you're drinking wine, whether you're eating an orange, whether you're skateboarding, all those things somehow reflect you glorifying God. And two, you are enjoying him forever. Meaning that he is worthy. He actually can satisfy your soul. He gives you everything you need for satisfaction in the sense that even if you are laying in your deathbed with stage four cancer, Mm -hmm. you're still satisfied. You're not happy. You're miserable. But in that misery, you have joy in the sense that you know your ultimate end. You know who he is. Yeah, I think that's the whole appeal of religion is in general is because is is and, and that's why a lot of people go to religion when they're older is because they're older, they're scared of what's going to happen after. And that's why it's so much more appealing to babushkas, you know, they'd be they'd be at church like every day if they could be. That's because they're near the death. They're they're closer to death. I don't see how that's necessarily a good reason, though, like just because you're promised something after. It's, to me, to me, I don't, I don't, I don't see the validation in that. Like, I, if you're supposed to live a fulfilled life, there are points in Christianity, Christianity that give us that, obviously. But there are different points in different religions that give this, a, give that as well. And I would say that they're wrong. Well, right? how are they wrong? Because you just said that atheists could be happier than you. Yeah, yeah. My whole point was, happiness is a fleeting thing. Of course. Right. And so happiness is is defined as the amount of dopamine or serotonin you have in your brain at the moment, right? That's that's the atheistic definition of happiness. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that's not the ultimate purpose of Christianity or, or God, God didn't put us on that, on this planet for that purpose. Like there, there are, there are people who are more satisfied in doing very difficult things and living miserable lives than people mm-hmm. living in really light, happy lives. The idea is that the, the aspect that which human beings should strive for is to know who God is. And mm. in that, they will find what it means to be a real human being. Because until that point, you don't know what it means to be a human being for real. And that's from scripture. And I think the aspect that you were talking about as well is the fact that there is moral consequences and guilt and shame that people feel that no one can get rid of unless you recognize that someone paid an ultimate price for you on the cross where that shame and guilt and consequence of um, sin has been taken away, right? When, when Ray Comfort goes around and asks people about if they'll get into heaven, he, he, he does the moral law. He goes down the chain. Like, have you ever lied in your life? Like, yes. Mm-hmm. Have you ever lusted in your life? Yes. Have you ever hated someone in your life? Yes. So by your own admission, you are a liar, a blasphemer, or he says, have you ever got, used God's name in vain? Like, yes. A blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer at heart. So, on the day of judgment, would God let you into heaven or, or would you go to hell? Mm-hmm. Like, well, I'd go to heaven. Like, no, you wouldn't. You, by your own admission, you, by your own standard, you self-admittedly recognize that you are guilty mm-hmm. and you are bad. And so, that dissonance yeah. for humanity needs to be solved. And that's why people fight with demons. That's why if you watch Alone, the show Alone, most people, most people, there's a show where you have to survive by yourself and you're recording yourself. Okay. And essentially, they're in the forest up to 60 or 70 days trying to survive and the last person wins. 
half a million dollars like survivor basically. yeah but like it's legit they record themselves there's no one around them they have to get their own food okay uh, and most people tap out not because well a lot of people tap out because it's medically difficult but a lot of people just fight straight up fight demons dude they're like they, they think about their family the things they did wrong in their life they feel guilty and it's like yeah when you take away all the distractions and you're by yourself people start freaking out that's why we have such high rates of anxiety that's why we can't get distracted from our phones. That's why we need to constantly be sucked into either social media or something. Yeah. Because if we're left by, by ourselves for a week, we start recognizing that we are not great people and we've made a lot of mistakes in our lives. And there's no way we can get rid of that guilt unless we have someone take it for us. And that's the Christian mm -hmm. message. Christ took the cross for you. And there is this ultimate punishment. Like there is a hell that exists. And that the wrath of God is coming upon all who disobey and all who are sinners happens to be the entire world. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the appeal of Christianity, right? Not that it makes you happy, but that it satisfies you. It gives you meaning. And it saves yeah. you from the wrath of God. Yeah, it get, religion gives you purpose. And to your point about being alone for a week, the, the phrase our parents always tell us when we're not wanting to do chores on Saturday or Sunday, they would say, what, the idle, idle hands are the work of the devil, right? Yeah. And there's truth to that. If you're left alone to your devices, you're only left to your thoughts. You can only think about those things um, like that haunt you. But why is it people think about the bad things they did, right? Because we're all anxious. Because we, we're all anxious human beings. I think that's why religion is such a, uh, a, a such a pulling or a, a black hole of a thing. It sucks to, to, you to in. Quote, to quote Karl Marx here. Uh, religion is the euphoria of the nations, right? Yeah, it's the opiate of oh, the, the masses. Yeah, yeah. And I think there is a sort of truth to that because religion is this kind of cure-all that comes in and says, hey, oh, are you anxious about dying? Oh, you're anxious about dying? Here, here's the perfect thing for you. You won't just die. You'll get you'll get this in the afterlife. Look what Islam does. Hey, you won't die. if you Honestly, if you die for God, you'll get 74 virgins. 72. 72. And paradise. I don't know. It, it went up, maybe. In the Inflation. 70s. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the virgin market crisis or whatever. Um, but I think there is something to be said about that. You're saying like you'll never feel as satisfied as meaningful if you're worshiping a God or looking for purpose for that. Yeah. I think people can find that in different yeah, ways. Those are the positives of Christianity, but ultimately um, the reason Christ came and why, why, why God commands us to repent is because there is a consequence for us human beings living our lives. And that consequence is the wrath of God consequence for us living our life yeah meaning we are sinners we sin and we offend a holy god and we can't pay for our sin in any capacity and so we are we, we are left as jonathan edwards mm -hmm. would say right sinners in the hands of an angry god we are left in the realization that god will have to punish us in order to be just for our sin and the punishment and the requirement of god's justice is eternal punishment and eternal torment and when we go to hell i don't know if you listened to the um, episode on hell that we did um when you go to hell you don't mm -hmm. stop sinning you just you just keep on sinning for eternity you become more and more selfish and evil yeah. and anxious and depressed yeah and and i to, to your i actually did i actually had a, a a thought for that one is why would you worship god he puts you in hell <laughs> you know i when you said like oh why, why would you keep or why would you ever stop hating God? Yeah, why would you stop hating God? He put you in hell. Yeah, he but, made he made a a world where 
not only did you not choose to be born, not only did you not choose to exist as a human, but in, he never revealed himself in a way like, hey, this is what you got to do. Otherwise, like you're screwed. So you're in a situation where you're like, wait a second. I was never told about this. I was never given 100% thumbs up on this. I know that if I don't pay my taxes in March, I will go to jail. The IRS will come for me. And when you said that, I was like, well, yeah, no, duh. God put you over here. Why would you ever like him? It's like saying, why, why would you ever uh, like the government if they put you in jail? You know, it's the same principle. So I would say that um, the statements, the statement that was made, like, right, God never revealed himself to you. Um, mm. He did. In fact, scripture says the image of the invisible God was revealed in Christ. Jesus Christ is literally the fulfillment of the law. His life was the obedience, that life that you could have never lived. And his death was the payment for your life. And so when you trust in him, the life that he lived, the righteous life that he lived, is now on your account. God sees you as though you were living Christ's life perfectly. Right? Uh, mm -hmm. And so your argument is like, well, God never revealed himself to me. And um, if he never revealed himself to me 100%, then how can I put my trust in him? And I, and I say... He did. Just read the scriptures. Like, th there are Christians who proclaim the gospel, and people reject it. And people say, well, I need more evidence. Mm -hmm. I need more proof. Richard Dawkins said, even if God writes on the moon, I exist, he would not believe it, right? He would think it's aliens or something. Yeah, so so there's, there's, a, there's a level of skepticism that we blame on other people, but in reality, again, I think, I think personally, mm -hmm. it boils down to the fact that we don't want God to be our Lord and us to be his slaves. And that is the only relationship we get with God. Either we are slaves to him or we um, you know, worship ourselves but in hell. And so that's the dichotomy the Christian religion presents. And some people fundamentally deny that, that aspect and say, like, none of that is true. Mm -hmm. And to them I say, you're rejecting the very salvation that God has presented to you. And when you go to hell, it is not God's fault that you didn't believe in him. You are the one who made the choice to say, here are my reasons, and I reject them. Yeah. And because I'm intellectual, because I'm more intelligent, because there are like extremely high IQ people who are Christians. Sure. There are extremely high IQ people who are non-Christians. So it's not the intelligent or an intellectual level or the, the evidence level of it. It boils down to your spiritual desire to worship yourself and not God. And I think that's the bottom of it. And unless, and as a, as a Calvinist, I'd go one step forward and say, unless God actually changes and regenerates your heart, mm -hmm. you won't believe in him. That doesn't mean you should strive to reject God. God commands you and, and points you to investigate scripture and to ask questions. But the responsibility of your life and your sin lies solely on you, not God. So that'd be the Christian response to that. Now, people may disagree with it, mm -hmm. but, you know. What, what do you think would be the critique to the argument you just made? What do you mean? You said God has revealed himself. Look, mm -hmm. it's in the scripture. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, if God even painted, look, I'm real on the moon, people wouldn't believe it. But the devil saw God and he still rejected God. He believed in God. So I deny that notion that people would... Um, I deny that that like just because you saw God like I, I think if he presented himself people could still make the decision right mm -hmm. 
So, because he presented him to the, to the devil and he made his decision, he deserves to be in hell because he had the had yeah. God revealed to him, and he was like, "Nah, this ain't it." So, I think the devil justifiably should be in hell because he hundred percent knew that there for certain that there was this thing, and that there was a looming fate for it. We might read the scriptures sure and they say yeah god god's real but how do you know it's it's not there the same way you read the quran and he's like yeah allah's out there just believe us i don't think you can say that and be like yeah that's my whole critique with your hell analysis is is, is saying well it it boils i mean it changes when you die because even so a couple of things even the demons believe right the demons believe in god but they don't worship him and so just the, the intellectual, I believe that every single person in the world has the intellectual knowledge that God exists, more or less. Wait, 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 wait. You, you, you think everyone believes in God? It has the intellectual knowledge that God exists. We have the cap- intellectual capability, you mean? Uh, to... No. God says that he's been revealed through even nature declares his glory and that all men suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So on a fundamental level, we are all theists. That's that's the claim of scripture, and we can discuss that later. But sure. um, my whole point is that um, when you say the critique of hell, once you once you make the choice of like, hey, I know God exists, and I think everyone makes the choice. I know God exists, and I'm gonna worship myself and live my own life. I don't care that it exists. Mm-hmm. It's not the when when the Sadducees. You know when when the people this Jewish leaders decided to crucify Christ, mm-hmm. it was right after, like the moment after he resurrected Lazarus from the dead, meaning that Jesus did the most miraculous thing in in existence, mm-hmm. raising someone who was dead for four days, and the response of the Jewish leaders was like, "Hey, maybe we should." The evidence is right there. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should know, consider that he's he's the son of God. No, we're gonna kill him. So that, I think that's the portrayal of the the, the heart of humanity. Mm-hmm. No matter the evidence of God, we don't care that he he you know how much evidence he presents. God says that we are at war with him. Even if we knew who he is, we would hate him. And the only way we can change that position, that preposition of hatred toward God, because that's what Scripture says, is if He changes our hearts and He takes our heart of flesh and I mean mm-hmm. takes our heart of stone and gives our heart of flesh. Would, would you agree that those uh, the people that saw him resurrect uh, Lazarus and still put him to death, mm-hmm. they are justifiably in hell. Yeah. Yeah, they are absolutely justifiably in hell. I, and and I, think, I agree I with think you. Everyone and in, I think everyone in hell is justifiably in hell. I would disagree with you on that. So you're making, you're saying God isn't just. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Of course God isn't just. He, he makes laws that he himself moves on sometimes or changes his mind on sometimes. Um, I, I don't think, for example... Um, the, the the kid the Pharaoh's child, God uh, sends plagues down to Egypt. God sends down uh, plagues into Egypt and says, "Release my people." Pharaoh's like, "Nah." And then uh, when Pharaoh's about to be like, "Man, you've killed like all of my all of my people. You've killed almost all of my like animals, all of my um, food supply." I'm about to let y'all go, but God's like, nah, let me, let me, what's the exact word? I know it God Russian, hardens Pharaoh's heart. Thank you. He, Pharaoh, he hardens his heart and then proceeds in, in because of that, uh, heart hardening, his child dies. His child was innocent. 
his child his child was not innocent well that's where i would disagree with you how is he not innocent you're i think you're about to say he is a human therefore he is sinful i think that's where we disagree is he is innocent i think i think people who use the word innocence in that way don't understand what the word innocence means because the definition of innocence is one who has never committed an upfront in biblical terms mm-hmm. someone who has never sinned and what sin is is anything against the will of god thought or deed mm-hmm. and so every human being on this earth has thought or wanted or desired something against god's law sure and so god has to punish that in order for him to be just but i want to go back to your statement that god isn't just and i want you to take away the biblical standards for god's justice mm-hmm. and explain to me why you think god isn't just outside of the biblical parameters god is causing pain that is not uh, consensual okay so that's the libertarian definition of right? yeah i guess you could say reality it. and i would say that um i disagree with that statement right there and i disagree with your statement of morality and that is my interpretation of morality and so now nor you or i have a foundational principle of what morality is is just relative and therefore we cannot have a agreed upon set of terms or standards by which we can judge god because in my opinion mm-hmm. i think god is completely just and that's the constructed morality that i have presented and you've presented a constructed morality for me and so now neither of us is right nor neither of us is wrong and voila what know? what is your basis of morality on because i mine can be mine can be executed i guess because we can see we can look in nature and see okay did this person consent to harm no then this is bad uh for example some people bring up like being pregnant but women typically consent to being pregnant and that causes pain when giving birth etc but however they are consenting to this pain i think most things can be chopped up to like hey do you want this pain inflicted on you um that's why personally like me euthanasia is is not a question for me because a person mm-hmm. is choosing to leave their life and they're consenting to this uh you know to me i have a basis what, what is your basis the word of god but again i'm going back to your basis because what you're saying is epistemologically the way you know things you have no standard meaning you 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 self-reference for your standard I self-reference. Yeah, meaning that you have decided that that is the foundation of morality. I think most people have. I think mo- most of society runs on this principle. And I think I, I think almost all of like our laws are, hey, you can't conflict here because this causes these people pain. Uh, like for example, we have a rule that like you have to be quiet after 11 p.m. because that infringes on other people's uh, priority to sleep. That infringes on their um, ability to have um, a sound sleep and then you know their health and etc cetera, etc cetera. so so i would i would disagree with that because most of western society and western law has solely been based on blackstone's principles and the principles that are found specifically in the new and old testament meaning that the american law system mm-hmm. with the jury of your peers with the witnessing with the evidence with the innocent <clears throat> until proven guilty is based upon the Christian tradition and nothing else. And so I would disagree with that. But another point I would make is that 
um, if we go down this rabbit trail of I'm going to judge God on the basis of the morality you presented, I have to respond in a way where I say, well, I disagree with your point of view of morality mm -hmm. because ultimately I don't think it's true in the capital T sense. Okay. And now me and you are operating on a lowercase truth sense because there's no capital T true sense. You know what I'm saying? Meaning there's no ultimate morality because if there was, it'd be based upon God's law. And since God's law is removed, we have free range to judge things right and wrong depending on how we feel about it. No, no, it's how others feel about it. If you're well, causing them, if you're causing them physical pain. Well, that's, it, I think that's where this is kind of going awry is because you're saying like, it's based on how I, I, like this person feels or this person. No, it's based on something that's universal pain. So in, in a debate, I believe it was John Boyce or someone else. I don't remember who it was. It was an old school debate. And um, they had this discussion of morality. And um, the response was, well, in Africa, yeah. they eat their neighbors. Here, we bring them cookies when they move in. Both believe that they're morally justified. Which neighbor would you like to have? Sure. I would also bring up the point that slavery was once justified, but that doesn't mean we can't progress past that. Do you think that those people in Africa will be doing that in 100 years from now, 200 years from now? Well, they're still doing it now, so... I, I mean, people are still murdering now, but it's not okay. I think most of the world looks at it and sees that this is not okay. Like we, I think we call those but, areas. But I just gave you an example where people did absolutely think it was okay. Sure. But I, I do you think that people that are getting eaten think it's okay? I don't, I don't care. If I, if but I, that's the whole premise of this is you're saying what's this justification based on it's yeah and i'm bringing it back to the fact that it's relative meaning there's no concrete reason for it outside of yourself and so when we discuss these things what happens is it's just preference there's no real concrete standard there tell me who prefers to be in pain i mean there's unconsensual a lot. pain dude there's a lot of people who prefer to be in, in pain and when you say unconsensual pain why is that the standard because if i'm giving you the okay then i no, 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 you misunderstood what i said why is it the standard that unconsensuality is immoral because you're taking away someone's free will why is that meaningful because everyone deserves free will everyone has free will and if you take away the free will it it, it would take away my justification. I, I agree with you on that. But do you know that that statement is solely based on scripture alone on the Western view of humanity and outside of the Western understanding of human humans, free will is a concept that's conjured up in our brains and really we are determined by our biology and naturalism and evolution period. Yeah. You know, so, so if you saying that you value free will, you just went back to the statement or the standard that, is provided from scripture, not from anything outside of it. And so my, my whole argument with, with a lot of these things is you know, people, people make these statements all the time mm -hmm. and they don't realize that the reason they think they're valid is because they are found ultimately in the Bible and they just don't know that it really came from the Bible. And if you took away biblical standards and you went solely naturalistic, solely outside of God, mm -hmm. free will, consent those two 
are based upon principles that are found in scripture and nowhere else. And if you were naturalistic, um, the survival of the fittest for the selection of uh, races, that's the longer um, you know, title of Darwin's book, ultimately he says, like, have at it. Kill, murder, enslave, right. do whatever is possible so you could have sexual intercourse with the next person and your offspring reproduce. That's the ultimate good. And there is no wrong or right. Pain, like, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why is rape wrong if I prolong my my offspring? Like, it's not wrong, according according to Darwin. Like, Right, but I, do I, I don't think we're basing things off Darwin. I think what he, he's saying is that this is how things evolved, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean we have to proceed to do that. And I would say, yeah, we don't have to. And do, do we no... need to evolve further is another question. I think evol- evolution happens regardless. We're evolving in different ways, but I think we're more humane about it. I, I, I still see... Can you, can you stop right there? You said more humane about it. Yeah. Do you know where the initial understanding of humanism came from? Western hum- ideas in the Bible. Humanism? Yes. Okay, explain that a little more because if I... So there, there's two definitions of humanism. The modern definition is the idea that, you know, obviously... It's anti-God. It's it's the it's the Nietzschean, um, Freudian understandings of humanism, um, the philosophers' understanding of humanism. But prior to that understanding of humanism, humanism was this idea that we as human beings have something of unique um, essence in us that was mm-hmm. essentially the Imago Dei, like the image of God has been implanted implanted in us, and from that derives our humanity. So when you use the word human. Um, if you take away the image of God and our unique status on this earth, we are just primates. We're equal to the girls and chimps, mm-hmm. and we can use technology, period. So you can't give a meaningful reason for which, you know, that that's kind of my argument. And I know right. we can go back and forth on it, but I think that's kind of, I think you understand what I'm trying to lay out. I understand what you're trying to lay out. However, I do still think that, I think if we go off the basis of consensual pain, I, I, I don't, I, like give me one law in today's day and age where that isn't based on that can be infringed upon. I don't have one, but I don't be, think that's I, because I yeah, think I, it's reason, a, the reason yeah, I think I don't consent? have huh? where consensual a person, pain. Yeah. So like where a person. Yeah. So uh, for example, rape is bad because the other person isn't con- consenting. Yeah. It's hurting them. Uh, murder is bad. It's not consenting. It's hard. the reason there's a law against speeding is because it could potentially hurt someone. Well, right? I can give you a just reason, but we're going to go into I, a rabbit hole because I, I would say corporal punishment and the death penalty. Yeah, I think corporal punishment is wrong. Yeah, and I would disagree with you. Well, I, do you see? But how I'm consistent <laughs> yeah. with all of those things? So rape's wrong because it's against someone's uh, will, right? Yes. So in that case, you would claim that every single animal in the world is committing rape, and that's wrong too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Are we, but that's why we say, that's why I said humanistic. We are distinguished from animals. And I I say we can't possibly be distinguished unless God exists. And he gives us that specific humanism, the Imago Dei in our, in our hearts, in our, our, the image of God implanted in us because there's no naturalistically, there is no distinction between primates and us. There just isn't like morally, but like, I mean, I, I I don't know. I think that there is. Like, I don't see that. I think there's different genomes. Like, we are very similar to chimps, but there are differences in us DNA-wise. There's different uh, differences in us, cr- like, chromosome-wise, etc. 
there there's like difference in us and the structures that we have and in the way we do morality well i I still don't think that there's any single law that you can list that isn't based on upon that principle well i i think i'm if i did research i could find it maybe but my whole point is i think the reason i can't find one is because god's moral law is so um permeated humanity because we literally have a conscience given from him that we create laws based upon the conscience that he has given us, which is also found you know, equally in scripture. Mm-hmm. So I think there is in fact a conscience, like a internal morality that God has placed in us. And so, that comes from... So, so you're saying, so like you would say rape, rape of someone is always, always wrong, right? I, I would hope you say that too. Yes, yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, so then that would be an absolute morality, right? As in? Like a standard that can never change. Rape is always wrong no matter what, no matter where, rape, no matter rape how. Is, rape is, yeah. Rape, as long as uh, we're categorizing rape as sexual intercourse with someone unconsensually. Yes. Yeah. So so then you believe in a in a moral objective standard outside of God, right? Meaning God isn't the dictator of all morality? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, that's, I think that's my whole critique to this. I think that's what we're debating. I'm saying that we are going yeah. back and forth. I'm saying that the way us humans have garnered our laws, garnered our philosophies is, oh, does this hurt you? Okay, how do we go about making laws that this doesn't mm-hmm. physically hurt you? And then if you consent to this hurt, then that's on you. So, for example, being pregnant. You can be pregnant. Um, however, look, you, you got to consent to it etc etc and then therefore comes the issue of abortion you're not you know uh, you, you've consented to have the baby but is it a child is it a person can we hurt this thing some people say yes some people say no etc yeah. so there's issues there but so you'd say it's like we it's because of society like we've decided things are moral like evol- through evolution like through change i think we just it's like touching the hot stove yeah i think we we've people have been raped and they're like this isn't good like this doesn't feel good yeah and we're like okay we will we understand we sympathize so we won't touch the hot stove we'll make in fact we'll make a law against touching the hot stove Mm -hmm. and i think that's the basis of morality and i i think you guys are saying that uh god plants that and i believe that comes before god i I think that comes before the bible well if you if you lived in a society where it was okay to eat eat one another uh-huh. like if that person consented and you would be able to eat that person like would you personally eat people would i personally so there is actually a famous loss uh law case against the, or um yeah law, a law case i believe i'm gonna make this up it's like man eater versus a, a state of ohio yeah. and they've like they lauded it that they couldn't eat it and i'm i personally am against that because the other person was consenting in this uh specific case Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if someone is consenting to something, then it's okay. That's why things like uh, molestation isn't okay because the person isn't old enough to consent yet. Um, uh, like murder isn't okay because the person isn't consenting to dying. That's why I'm okay with uh, euthanasia because the person is consenting to dying, so mm-hmm. on and so forth. I don't see any sort of laws or moralities yeah. where uh, if a person consents it's not okay or if a person doesn't consent it's okay yeah but would you personally eat eat someone 
I don't like think if humans it, are delicious. You never tried it. Never tried it. But, you know, I could go with the same thing as saying, like, would I ever try lamb? Or would I ever try shark? Probably not. It doesn't look appealing to me. So I would say the same thing with humans. Yeah, I, I see your argument. And in that case, um, people who believe in consent as the most ultimate standard, like one of the biggest standards in morality, mm-hmm. would have a severe problem with Christianity because when you're regenerated or born again, there is no consent given. God regenerates your heart. There's no consent. You you are born again. And, and so um, I don't think God views consent as the biggest standard for morality i think that's where the problem lies right i I, yeah i understand what you're saying but um i guess i mean you didn't consent if you wanted to be born yeah i think that's why i had the problem with hell is because oh god you're putting me into a a situation where i didn't even consent to be here Mm -hmm. that that was my whole thing of course i'm gonna keep hating god if i'm in hell i never asked to be here god it, it, look, you ex- do you guys remember life before birth? Right? No. I don't remember life before too. But. Exactly. You you were I recently I just had a surgery done to me and they gave me a drug called fentanyl, okay? Very infamous drug. But look, when they gave me this drug, I don't even remember them giving it to me and I black out for t- about 2-3 uh, hours. And I assume that's kind of like what life was like before being born. It just in that situation and mm-hmm. out of nowhere we were born and some people think it's god and then we're not supposed to be angry at god for sending us to hell and never revealing himself to us there's all these dispositions and all these questions to be answered yeah and i i think uh, yeah in a sense to that older question that you were asking is god just no because i never has to be here okay i'd uh caveat a comment on that and then i'll ask you another question um, I think the reason, the only reason people can make the statement that it's, I, the only way people could ever use the words unjust is if they're referring to a standard that's outside of themselves mm-hmm. and is a moral standard that is never changing and is objective. Right. And I think you can't have that unless you have a lawgiver um, that's outside of humanity. And then two, do you believe that humans have a soul? And by soul, I mean a non-physical, not not like a mind, right? Mm-hmm. Not not the distinction between brain mind, but a spiritual um, existence. Um, obviously, it's within the body. The Christian Christianity believes that you can't just exist like a soul without a body because mm-hmm. you have a glorified body in heaven. But is there another it, part of essence to me? Yeah, is not part of essence. Is like. I don't like to use the part, but yeah, we yeah. use the word part. Is, is, sure. Do you have an essence of a soul? Oh gosh, um, man, I want to tell you yes, but I, I guess I'm a little. Um, what's the word? You can't confirm or deny. Agnostic. Agnostic on this because, yeah, no, I don't know. I could tell you two plus two equals four, mm-hmm. but I, 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 I what, let's for the sake of your argument say yes. Okay, and. If you say yes, why do you believe you have a soul? Because you answered the question already, so I'm not going to go further. But like, that mm. make, does that make sense? I think that the only way we can come up with the idea of a soul is if there's an outside of us being, yeah. giving us a soul. So the scripture would be the reference for people having souls. And outside of scripture, well, we, we, we can't have souls. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is that one of the proofs for God is if 
if there's light, we know that there is lightness because we've seen darkness. We know the um, what's bright because we've seen something dimmer. Yeah. We know what's what's sad because we've been happy. It's we know that there's perfect perfection because we know we're all imperfect. I don't. I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that um, human experience, uh, at least in, in my experience and, and like um, in general, I would make the claim, and I can't prove it, is that humans experience spiritual things. And I believe the spiritual aspect of humanity is more real than the physical. Like, more more real mm. in the sense that when we die, we will recognize that God and everything in the f- spiritual realm is more concrete. And uh, everything in this physical real- realm was just shadows of the things that were really there. We only realize that when you die, when we die, though, is what you just said, right? Um, I think we can recognize that here, but we will experience that when we die. And I, I guess that that whole derive again that whole structure derives from the Christian aspect of it. But mm-hmm. I, that's kind of my whole spiel up to this whole thing. But this was a good conversation. I agree. I agree. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, you know, me, me and Nick get together. It's always a long time. So that's why I got the pillow for my butt on the chair here. Mm-hmm.